I'm Michelle Sims, and this is The Beauty in the Mess, a community where people who crave a shift in mindset, personal growth, and connection to like-minded people come together to start rewriting their stories. Through engaging, honest, and insightful conversations, the show will help you embrace the mess to recognize the meanings and the lessons it holds and discover its hidden treasures to help you start making a mindset shift. Let's listen, learn, and reclaim who we were meant to be. Hi, friend. Welcome to the Beauty in the Mess. Before we get going today, I do want to let you know that this episode has some sexually explicit content and is not intended for children to listen to. And with that being said, for this episode, I am excited to welcome Dr. Heather Brown to the show. Dr. Brown is a widow who grew up with a paranoid schizophrenic mother who ended up taking her own life, unfortunately, while Dr. Brown was still very young. She was able to learn from her mom, though, that none of us share the same reality, even though we believe we do. This has allowed her to transform communication within self and within all other types of relationships, and she feels that this transformation is the key to acceptance. Hi, I'm Michelle Sims, your host. I'm just a regular person who, along with my family, have had our share of messes that we too have had to overcome. Along the way, I got curious as to how others get through their messes and even triumph over them. Maybe there's a better way, a faster way. Maybe we can accelerate our journeys by learning from someone else. That started my pursuit. I think we can all learn from each other through the sharing of our experiences, lessons, and knowledge. So join me for episode 43 of The Beauty and the Mess called The Power of Communication with Dr. Heather Brown. Dr. Brown has a doctorate in psychology and is an active psychotherapist for couples. She has published in hundreds of journals, and she's been featured on TV and published in many magazines as well. She has two books in the final stages of pre-publication. She just did her first TED Talk on September 23rd of this year. So without further ado, let's dive right into today's conversation. Hi, Dr. Brown. Welcome to the Beauty and the Mess. I'm so glad to have you with me today. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Before we get into everything today, I know that you're a faith-based psychotherapist, very successful, and you've been on TV and in magazines and all kinds of things. But before we get into some of that, I was wondering if you could tell us some of your background and how you grew up and possibly even what might have led you into psychotherapy. Well, I think there's a gift in anybody who wants to help other people walk their journey and in healing. And I think there's an empathy that's created oftentimes out of a difficult childhood. And mine, like so many other people's was as well. My mom was a paranoid schizophrenic and I grew up in the sixties and the seventies. So it really wasn't discussed and we didn't really know what was going on. There wasn't much help and certainly paranoid schizophrenics don't welcome help. So she she really struggled and it got worse and worse. And then she added alcohol to it to try to self-medicate, which was just, of course, a mess. She killed herself when I was 16. And so eventually in life, I got to the place where I realized I really wanted to help other people in their journey. After after she killed herself, um, I went off to college on my own. I was on my own at 17 and I went off and I wanted to be an actress so I could escape the world and be magical in the world. And one day God tapped me on my shoulder and said, instead of pretending to be someone you're not, how about you help people be who they are supposed to be? And I thought it was beautiful. beautiful. And I thought it was a glorious calling. And that was when I was deep in my own 
psychotherapy work, <laughs> trying to figure out what the hell my childhood had been and, and how do you live in a world when you've not lived in the world that most people live in? Because the world I lived in as a little kid was pretty magical in some ways. I don't know if all people who are touched with insanity are incredibly genius and creative and explorative and taps into nature and the elements, but I think a lot do. I think a lot of the composers do. I think a lot of the, the musicians do and the artists do. And my mom certainly did. Huge respect for nature and for fairies and for the sun and the moon and the stars. And she had relationships with trees. Uh -huh. Her coat was a polar bear. And I think that's where she bridged it. This is just my speculation, but I think she bridged creativity, seeing things in a different reality and fantasy. And there, my sister and I could join her because when she was magical, when it was imagination, then we could come into the fantasy, like stepping into Alice in Wonderland. If you know you're stepping into Alice in Wonderland, you can go to the tea party. Right. When we didn't know we were stepping into Alice in Wonderland, it was the queen chopping off your head and it was really scary. <laughs> but I think that's where she kind of felt that she could live. It was on an edge because it wasn't quite what our reality was, but it wasn't so far away that my sister and I couldn't really enjoy it and treasure those times. And those were the places I felt the closest to my mom and the most loved was when we were exploring nature or she was sharing philosophy and art to touch her heart and soul. Amazing. Because typically when you hear of schizophrenia, you don't hear of that magical fantasy creative part of the personality. You hear of that they hear voices and that they are paranoid or so they do. They do. Right, right. Right. But I just mean it's awesome that she was able to do that. I yeah. think if we didn't she was a writer. And I think part of that was very healing for her because that allowed her to express herself. She could write whatever she felt like writing her storyline was. I think if we were to look at insanity differently, I think if we were to look at it as they tap into a different reality than we do, that they're aware of possibly some different dimensions, they go into places in their mind that we can't find. I, I don't really know where my mom went. I'll never know. But she took me along the journey in some places, and I certainly tried to go along. I think the challenge we have so much with schizophrenia is we're trying to make them be in our reality, and they don't know how. And there's also a reason why they can't. Something has happened to them, or someone is happening to them, that is incredibly troubling or problematic or injurious. And so this reality isn't safe. And so they split off, be it a psychotic moment or go into complete addiction or depersonalization, but they split off to not, to not go there. I heard an incredible podcast about somebody asking how to help people with schizophrenia. And the speaker said, well, first off, don't tell them where they are. Tell them you don't. And that they've actually done something that's phenomenal, which is they've learned how to remove themselves from this place that has been so hard for them and create a different reality for themselves somewhere else. Now the question is, like, where are they most equipped? Where are they the healthiest? Where can they take care of themselves the best? It's probably not completely here. It's definitely not completely there. But where is it 
in that. And I think my mom tried desperately to find that. And when she couldn't stay there enough, she drank. And then she was just kind of in numb land, wow. which I know is her way to not deal with it. That was probably before they, I mean, they have treatments now, don't they? They have a, a drug that, that can help them. Yeah. But paranoid schizophrenic is really hard because they don't trust doctors. Right. I admitted her to UCLA at one point because uh, I knew she was suicidal. Right. And so I was 16. And so I had her admitted. I remember we were there and the doctors were saying she was doing so much better and she stuck at her tongue and she had some pills on her tongue. And I thought, Oh, she's got pills on her tongue. She's not even taking her pills, but there's only so much they can do. Wow. And she didn't either. She either wasn't offered or she never chose to go to aftercare. I'm sure she never chose to because the paranoid schizophrenic believes people are out to hurt them or people aren't safe. Right. And if you think about it, I, I mean, I can't come from the paranoid schizophrenic's viewpoint because I'm not, but if you think about it, people aren't. Because we're trying to tell them your reality is not real. We need to give you drugs. We need to give you shock treatments and bring you back to this reality. And they're saying, no, I don't want to go to that reality. I'm supposed to be in this reality. And we keep telling them your reality is wrong. You have to be here. There's a different way to handle it. Maybe we're more accomplished with it now. But I know that is one of the hardest disorders to work with because they don't want help. I've heard, and it may be true or not true, but I've heard it a lot of schizophrenics. If they do go on the medicine and they keep taking it and they start doing well, then they think they don't need the medicine and they quit taking it. And then they're right back to where they started. It's like someone who's bipolar. It's one of the biggest challenges of bipolar is just that you have to stay in your meds. Oh, wow. And they're like, I'm doing great. I'm like, right. But you need to remember you're on your meds. And so then they go off because they don't want to be on meds. Who wants to be on meds? And then they just tank. So there's that place of, but this is helping you. It'd be like somebody who has heart issue and they say, well, my heart's fine now. You know, insulin. I don't need to take insulin anymore. My sugars are great. And then all of a sudden the body can't keep up with that. So right. I think we all try to pull ourselves away from needing to be on something, but sometimes we just do. I wear contacts. I need my contacts. It's very, very apparent when I don't wear them, that I can't see a medication, you don't see it quite as rapidly. So it's a little bit harder. Right. And with still so much stigma on mental health, which is so sad. It is sad. It's just so sad that people are ashamed and they feel there's something wrong with them instead of their body is not working well with them or their mind isn't firing in the right way. That doesn't mean they've done something. I don't think my mom did anything to become paranoid schizophrenic. Right. I think it's some of her childhood and probably biologically as well. And I think a lot of us have this need that we want to be like everybody else. And so you don't want to admit that something's different or something feels wrong. So even if you have that heart problem, you don't want it to be different than any, everybody else. So you just say, uh, I'm okay now. Or, But it's God put all 8 billion of us on the planet. And we're all different. Needing all 8 billion of us. Exactly. Because no one else is you. No one else is me. No one else is the viewer. So we are to be different. Exactly. And we forget that when it comes to something like that. And maybe that's part of our journey as well. I mean, there certainly are incredible people who have used their condition to glorify God and the world massively. But we want life to be easy. Right. We want life to be simple. 
you know, give me a lot of money, give me a great job, give me a great partner, give me great health and a perfect body. You know, that's kind of what we all want. Right. And I know you touched on something like you said, your mom looked at things through a different reality. And you said that that brought you a heightened awareness that we're all looking through our own lens, so to speak. Uh, 100%. Yeah. So how does that help us as we maneuver with other people? I mean, realizing that because I read that you talk about that we all assume people have the same reality we do, but we're all really looking at things differently. I'll give you an example. Okay. So I have a couple that I've worked with for a little while and the the gentleman loves to take photos. His fiance is very talented aesthetically and she comes up with some really interesting ideas. So she'll share her thoughts with him and he was frustrated and angry and upset and he felt judged and criticized. And I, I listened to their little conversation. I went, huh? And he said, what? And I said, do you want to be the best photographer you can be? And he said, well, of course. And I said, what if she's just showing you a different view? What if you let yourself go beyond your view? Because you, you, this is yours. This is all you know. And if you don't go beyond, this is all you're ever going to be able to give the world. I'm not saying you're going to incorporate all that she says, but what if you open up your view to hers? What if you open up your view to mine? What if? We have something incredible, beautiful, poignant, powerful to add to your repertoire. Like, I would think the best photographer would be the person who explores lots of ideas, tries it out. Do I like this? No. Okay. But I tried it out. Do I like this? Ooh, let me shift it like this. So if we take the same viewpoint to reality, I know what I know. I see what I see. I experience what I experience. You come to me with something different different, not wrong, not right, different. And if I say, no, you have to see it my way. I am a hundred percent limiting me and you and our relationship. Why can I not be open to hearing what your experience is? Plus sometimes often somebody has something amazing. They tell you something, you go, why are there podcasts? Because someone's bringing an insight or an experience or a thought or a lesson that you have not had. Why do we listen to people? Because they're telling us something that is not of us. But yet in our relationship, we don't do that. No, you have to do it my way. You have to think it's my way. This is it. This is the way it's going to be. And we forget of the beauty of being human, which is, we're all in this together and we're all a smorgasbord and there's so much beauty and wonder within other people. And then when you let yourself really embrace and honor what's created between two people, now you create something you've never experienced either of you on your own and nobody else can experience together. That's the true beauty of intimacy. If you have someone who's creative in some way, a chef, a baker, a gardener, a painter, a dancer, a musician, and you co-create with them, you know what I'm talking about. Like you come to this place of this energy where you're just going and you're fueling each other. and It's magical. My mom did that. Our fantasy was co-creation. Children do it all the time. Let's put on the hat and now I'm the prince and you're the frog. Okay. 
Like we do it, we did it all the time as children. Right. And it's a wealth of information and knowledge. There's no judgment. I can be the queen. I can be the witch with the big ward on my nose. Like it's fine. And how interesting to explore something that's other than yourself, which I think that's why we're on this earth with 8 billion people. So we don't really have to try to figure out what their reality is just to be open to listening and exploring, like you said. And what they need or what they want. Couples will come to me and they say, I want to feel more loved. And I said, well, isn't that lovely? Don't we all? What does that mean? More tax, more phone calls, a date, flowers, sex. What does you want to feel more loved mean? Right. We don't know what somebody else is asking. The thing I love to say to clients is, if I say to you, chocolate is delicious and you say, yes, it is. I will never know if you taste chocolate like I do. Very true. When I say I love this color blue, I have no idea if you see the same color. I'll never know. And so if we can't line up on something that's tangible, like chocolate, blue, how are we ever going to line up on a thought or a feeling or a belief? So to me, I say so often, help me understand why this is important to you. Right. Help me understand why this is something you're drawn to. Now, am I going to be? Probably not. But if I can understand from your perspective why it's important to you, I can honor you. I can respect you. I can help you take care of yourself. Right. It's a beautiful place to come into helping and supporting somebody else in relationship. I find out from my clients first today, I had two first sessions, both of them. I said, what is it that you're hoping to have at the end of the session? What is it you're hoping to go away with? What's the most important thing for us to work on? And both couples sat there and said, that's a great question. They hadn't thought about it. And I'm like, that's why you're here. So like, let's figure. And then, and, and one of them sat for a little while and they're like, I don't know. And they're like, we're really not going to move forward until you do. Cause I want to come through for you with what you need. Let's not just yip yap. So let's just sit for a moment. Where is it frustrating? Where is it hard? Where is it challenging? Where do you not feel seen or heard? And then that opens. Oh, let's talk about this. And there we go. It's really important that we ask ourselves, how am I feeling? What am I thinking? What am I desiring or needing? And when we do that, then we can we can bridge with others better. If I know you need to feel secure and I need adventure, ooh, so we've got some stuff to figure out because I don't want to be putting you at risk with my adventure. Right. I also don't want to sit with the seatbelt on all the times and not move. <laughs> so there's a place of, okay, well, what can we do? Or could I run off ahead? And then come back. How do we work together with the fact that we experience this differently? And very importantly, I need to take care of me. You need to take care of you. It's not my responsibility to take care of you. I will respect you. I will absolutely work with you. I will honor you. But it is each of our individual needs to take care of ourselves. Because if we don't do that, we put ourselves at risk. 
If I say it's up to you to take care of me and you do a lousy job, now I'm in trouble. And so it's very important that we honor ourselves and what we need. And I think that's pivotal to God. Where is our strength within? Where are we guided within? What are we called to do? What is our truth? And what aligns with us for the better good and for the divine? I think that's important to know. Oh, it is. And it sounds like a big part of the issues with couples is not discussing your expectations as well. At all. I had one. Can can I talk about sex on the podcast? Sure. Okay. I had a couple that came to me. They've been together for a year and they were not intimate, hardly at all. And first session, I'm like, okay, first year. Hmm. And I, I said, well, what does he most enjoy? She looked at me like a deer with headlights. I thought, uh oh. So I looked at the gentleman and I said, What do you enjoy? And he got super meek and shy. And I said, It's important that she knows. You don't have to answer in front of me if you don't want to, right. but it's important that she knows. I said, Do you like intercourse? And he nodded. I said, Okay. Like, do you like a hand job? He nodded. I said, Do you like a blow job? And he like put his face down. And I'm like, you don't have to answer me, but she needs to know. And he's like, and she looked at me and she said, I didn't know. I'm like, guys, these are really important conversations to be having with each other. They are. And even just life expectations. Like, do you both want kids? Do you both want to raise your children in religion and the same religion? So many conversations that need to happen. So many conversations. Yeah. And some of them are messy. Right. Some of them just are, but out of the mess, we learn how to clean. Right. And so if it's, you know, a little sloppy, you never get to what you want. If it's messy and you take the time, you can really get to clean. You can really get to what do we really desire. And that's a beautiful thing. Oh, it absolutely is. Now, I know you also talk about how this, knowing that people view things in different realities different than yours, that this leads to the hidden key of acceptance. What do you mean by that? It's just that we honor them, like you said, because we know that they're looking at something differently, or could you explain that for us? Sure. When I don't need to decide that your reality is not real, when I just realize it's not for me, right? then I'm not challenging you in your belief system or your thought process or how it is that you feel you need to be in a relationship or how it is you need to be in life. Then my role is, well, how do I come alongside you with that? This will be in my TED talk, which I'm doing this. Oh, exciting. So thank you. (laughs) So my mom one time thought the helicopters flying over the house were coming to get her. And my dad said, you know, Ginny, you're crazy. They're not coming to get you. Didn't do any good for her. Right. And she was shaking and she was really scared. And I I was looking at her and I thought like, what does she need? She needed to feel safe. Right. So I, I grabbed my blankie and I threw it over her head and I said, they're, they're not going to get you. They're, they're not going to get you. And when she came out, she looked at me and she said, you believe me, which I didn't. But she thought you did. Well, I believed she right. believed herself. That was close enough. 
I wasn't going to lie to her and say, yes, mommy, I do believe the helicopters were coming to get you. Like I, I didn't lie to my mom, but I didn't need to push that point. Right. I pushed the point that was important, which is she was scared. She needed the helicopters to leave. Both of those were accomplished. And because of that, she felt she could trust me. And because of that, she saw me as being supportive. And because of that, I changed my mom's reality. If you will, I helped her go through her reality until she could come back to mine, which was the helicopters were gone. Now, as long as there were helicopters, her reality was they're coming to get, they're going to, you know, they're going to take me away. But if I could bridge her during that period of time until there were no helicopters, she was now safe again. That is a glorious place of acceptance. I don't need to change your reality. I can honor that yours is what it is for you, unless it's coming into a, like a place that we can change it. But how do I stay and help and support until you're no longer in this place of fear, anxiety, overwhelm, anger, hurt? It's amazing that you could see that as a child. Well, I didn't, but I didn't know what to do. And she was so scared. What can I do? Like, hide. What do you do when you're scared? You hide. And so I helped her hide. And I held her. So I loved her and her fear. Right. Until she felt she didn't need to be fearful anymore. And it was a, a pivotal moment for me. And the key in that was I realized compassion is the key. Compassion is the bridge. Not, not necessarily what is truth. Love was the key in that moment. Let me love mom because she needs it a lot. So that's always the answer to everything, in my opinion, in the world. We all need more love. Every situation needs more love. Anything that you're coming against where there's hurt, injury, anger, resentment, judgment, cruelty, belittling, fear, it needs more love. Everything needs more love. And at 12, it was my blankie and my arms and my soothing voice and time. This might be an odd question. I don't know. But how do we apply that to ourselves? How do we help ourselves? Like if self-love is an issue or self-acceptance is an issue, how do you give that same compassion to yourself? A lot of it is tapping into that little fearful child inside of you and what's going on and what do you need there? My place where I'll go to when I start to feel fearful or scared is um, insecurity and not feeling appreciated. And I'm, well, my mom killed herself and I'm a widow and I really don't have family other than my kids. And so there isn't like a, a normal family structure of support in my life at all. And there's not a partner. I've got a dog and a cat that I live with because my kids are grown. Um, so I don't have that. And so I know that place. I can feel insecure. I cannot feel appreciated. And so I take care of that part of me. And when it's really activated, I'll tell the person, like, I'll tell my kids, I need you to know there isn't something that you've done that's created this, but I need you to know right now a little Heather's feeling a little scared and big Heather isn't feeling appreciated. My kids adore me. I have the most amazing kids in the whole wide world. And they'll say, oh, little Heather, we love you, little Heather. We love you so much. And then I'm like, okay, I'm good now. <laughs> like, that's all I need. I need a hug. I need a hug and I need to be told I'm loved. That's it. I'm super simple. 
I need to be appreciated, hugged, loved. It comes from when I was three. My parents were having a horrific fight and um, my mom was coming after my sister and I abusively and we were hurt and not severely. Thank you, God. And we barricaded ourselves in our rooms, wow. like we took all the toys and the chairs and we shoved them against the door. My sister had a lock, so she was safe, but my door didn't have a lock. I don't know what they did with putting a five-year-old with a lock on her door, but it helped us that night. So we barricaded my door. And then I remember I threw myself on my bed. I was three and I was sobbing. And my sister came in, sweet little five-year-old little girl. And she said to me, and it sounds like she was trying to hurt me, but she wasn't. She was just, she was just speaking the truth. And she said, no one's coming for you. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she went into her room. That's profound for a five-year-old. It was true. And I had to learn that in the world. And then at 17, I'm disowned. So like, I had to learn, like, no one's coming. Like, you got to make it work. But what that did for me at that age of three is all I wanted was to be hugged. I didn't know enough to ask my sister at three, but that's always been my thing. I want a hug. I want reassurance. So it's finding out what are your needs? What are your desires? What helps you feel safe within yourself? And then to let the people who are important in your life know that. And there'll be times when people say, you want to hug? I'm like, I'm fine. Why would I need a hug? <laughs> so we don't need it all the time. I used to call my late husband at work when I just had a kind of a tough day. And I'd say, just tell me you love me. And he'd say, what's wrong? I'm like, no, 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 no. Just tell me you love me. <laughs> Honey, why don't you know? I'm like, oh my gosh, could you just tell me you love me? He'd say, I love you. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. And then there was one day he called. I'm like, hey, how are you? He's like, I'm good. I love you. And I said, thanks. I hope you're having a good day. I'll see you tonight. I hung up the phone. And I went stop. So I rang him up again. And I said, Hey, and he said, yeah, what, what's up? And I said, thank you. And he said, you didn't need it today. Did you? And I, said, I didn't know I did need it. Oh, wow. But I do. Thank you. It's really important that I think that you let yourself develop intimacy, not only with yourself, but with the person you love. And so if you let yourself go there, you need to make certain the person really cares. There's also something, um, vulnerability. I was just going to say vulnerability. For some reason, I wanted to understand vulnerability. And what it said, I went, oh, Lord. It said opening yourself up for hurt. And I thought, oh, God, no. I don't think of that as vulnerability at all. That is stupidity. So I thought, well, okay, let me look at it differently. How do I look at it? So I'll come to you and I'll say, hey, I'd like to be open to you and accessible. Can you meet me here? And if you say no, then they say, oh, that's unfortunate. Okay, well, let me know when you can. That's being vulnerable, right. not setting yourself up for hurt. But I think we look at vulnerability as I open myself up completely. I cross my fingers and hope to God that you're not going to hurt me. And I'm at your whim. That's stupid. Like that's just reckless. So there's a place of finding out, and the person can lie, but the place of Finding out, like, if I meet you here and I open myself up here, will you be gracious with my heart? Will you be kind with my heart? And I will do the same for you. And then when you come to a place, and you will, when you're being open or vulnerable, if you come to those places where it's scary, and then to say, who, I'm a little scared right now because you're so important to me. And 
Like I want us to be good. And then the next question is, well, what can we do to make it feel more secure? I'm going to say, can I have a hug? You might say, can we just sit here? Someone else might say, could you tell me that you love me? Somebody else might say, would you let me know I'm seen? There's a place of, with the people who you trust and with people who are important to you, letting yourself receive what it is that you really have always needed to receive. And it normally comes down to being told you're loved, physical touch, being told something like, I'm proud of you. Most of us have a little core desire that we've had our whole life that hasn't really been filled up enough. And I know I hug myself a lot just because I'm alone. So I'll hug myself a lot. I have a super soft robe. It's like a little kitty and I'll wear it and I'll hold myself. It's okay to give yourself the love that you really desire in the ways that you can. But it's also really beautiful to let yourself receive it from somebody else. Yeah, and I, I had never thought of vulnerability the way that you had read the definition. I hadn't. I thought that was horrible. It, it sounds horrible, but you know, as I'm thinking while we're talking, I think a lot of us do feel that way though. You feel if you allow yourself to be vulnerable with another person that now you just gave them the ability to hurt you. Not that they're going to, but they now have the ability if they want to. And I, th I think maybe that's part of the communication problems is we're afraid. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. But we can say that I'm willing to be open to you, but I do want to know if you're going to be careful with my heart. And if you say, yeah, of course I am. I'm going to say, oh, I think I'm going to wait until another time. <laughs> I could be wrong, but it seems like men struggle even more than women to be vulnerable, at least my experience. I don't. Well, we tell them to not be. We tell them like you're weak. I listened to a lot of podcasts. I heard a podcast yesterday. And the, the guy said every single time, like I you know, wanted to feel anything. My dad called me a, I'm going to spell it because it's a horrible word, but a P-U-S-S-Y. Be a P-U-S-S-Y. Like that's horrible. Oh, wow. It is. Don't be a girl. Like don't be weak. Don't let anybody know what you need. Right. So men are raised to not need from others. Or to not show and the needs. Yeah. They still need it, I think. And yet, like they need hugs as much as right. we do. It probably more, right. you know, because girl, women, like we have more access to that side of us. It's more accepted for a woman to be emotional or to feel things deeply. Right. Not so much for a man. It's changing. It's changing a lot, but we got a long way to go. Oh, yeah. We have really belittled men on their emotional experience horrifically we've shamed them horrifically don't you dare cry they'll be weak and then we're baffled why they come into a relationship and they struggle to show the emotion that we need to see and that they're angry in the world yeah. like is there any question that they would be angry in the world if they're beaten up for having feelings like we have, we have really done a number on men and then I have deep compassion for men. Cause then I feel like, okay, so now what we do is we say, oh, I am equal to you. I need nothing from you. I can completely take care of myself. I will not be controlled by you. And yet you better treat me like a princess. Like what? <laughs> I think we have demasculated men and I think they're angry. I think that's horrible myself. But women, like you just said, that we have to say, well, I can do it all by myself. 
even if you're feeling inside that, hey, I can't do all this all by myself, but you're not supposed to show it. Wouldn't it be nice to have a partner? Like I, I, I am one of those women, you know, I've got my doctorate. I've got a successful practice. I've done it. Right. Okay. Be really nice to have some wonderful, kind, gentle, beautiful soul who says, can I give you a hug? You're beautiful. Do you want to go to a show? How about we go dance? May I kiss you? Like, I would love that. I don't need it. I don't need it. But wouldn't that be lovely? Absolutely. Wouldn't that be lovely? I think we've lost. I think we've lost largely women being women. And we certainly have made it really hard for guys. Right. Uh, That's sad. I hope we can change that before it's lost. I do too. I do too, because I think we lose, we lose so much of where male and female are beautiful together, the man and his strength, and then being able to come and do his softness, his tenderness, his gentleness right. with a woman and a woman. I, I've, n- I've never had a relationship with a partner where I have felt like I wasn't the one who was at least like equal, right. we're for sure equal 50-50 or the caregiver. And it's not that I I need or need someone to take care of me. I don't. But it would be lovely to be with someone who has that component. I had a gentleman I dated for a short while and it was pouring rain and we, he walked me to my car and he said, how old are your tires? And I said, why are you asking? And he said, because I need to know. I said, they're about a year old. Why? He goes, okay. Okay. I'm like, why? <laughs> he said, well, if you were five years old, I'd drive you home. Oh, wow. We're like 45 minutes from my house. I said, what? <laughs> he said, well, yeah, I'd drive you home. That's sweet. Wow. And something with my heart went, I don't know what this is. And I know a lot of it is because I was on, on my own at 17 and most of my childhood, I was like, just trying to figure it out on my own anyway. So I haven't had that quality often. My children will do it from time to time. My mother-in-law was glorious with them. My late husband at times would, but it's not a component that I attracted or cultivated for myself because I was so busy on being the career woman and who's successful. And so like I see the shortcoming of that. Right. It's a beautiful place for a woman to be able to be a woman and to have somebody just want to make it lovely for them for a moment. Yeah. But like you said, you have the whole component of society driving this woman's got to be everything, do everything. And then also with the way your childhood was, I'm sure that was a big driver of I've got to take care of myself. Like you said, no one's coming. There's no one. There's no safety net. Yeah, I had to. I mean, I guess the choice was tell my father, okay, I'll do whatever it is that you tell me to do and I'll live my life as you tell me to live my life. But I, I wasn't going to do that. And so the other option is then you're, you're completely on your own. I'm not going to help you. It was like, okay, okay, then I'll figure and, it out. And you think of how brave you had to have been 
as a teenager. I mean, brave to make that decision because most of us, if we're going to be honest, most of us as a teenager, if we're handed that decision, we're like, okay, I'll, I'll do what you want. Cause then I'm safe. Right. For a while. Um, but you said, no, I'm not going to give up what I know I need to do. Well, it was kind of like the first time in my life where I realized I could actually start to figure out who I was. Like in my daughter has asked me, what was your 13th birthday? Like, and I'm like, I, I don't know. I didn't have a normal childhood in a lot of ways. In some ways I totally did, but at times mom just wasn't healthy. And so in those times, so much of my childhood was like, let's keep mom happy. Let's stay magical. Let's look for fairies uh-huh. instead of really dealing with what was going on. And so when my dad then said, well, you're going to be who I want you to be in your life. I'm like, when is there a time for Heather to get a choice? And so I, I took it. You made that. It was a big, it was a big choice. It was a painful choice. Putting yourself through college is really hard on your own. Um, but I did it. But I did it. But that was because I I needed to figure out who I was. And I needed to live this life as I knew God wanted me to live this life, not just becoming whomever somebody else wanted me to be. And that's why that message from him, how about instead of pretending to be someone you're not, how about you help people be who they are to be was so profound. Oh yeah. It's huge. It's like, yeah, that is why I'm here. And so giving people a voice, mm, let me change that. Helping someone give themselves the option to have a voice being willing to look and see, being willing to care about what the person feels is needed, how to cultivate safety and security, how to be respectful when someone has a different viewpoint or a different thought and caring enough about it to find out. There's huge wisdom if you will follow someone's reason. There's huge wisdom. There's been so many times when my kids were young and they'd want to do something that I couldn't understand why they wanted to. And so I'd say, help me understand why this is so important. And it took some digging to get to, but eventually it would be something like, because it's the last time we're going to see Johnny before he moves and goes to Massachusetts. And I'm like, oh, I remember there was some event, my my daughter wanted to go to, and it was right before finals. And I thought, no way, no way it's finals. And we were digging and digging and digging. And eventually she shared something. And it was, it was something about a girlfriend, like having gone through crisis right away. And she was just really hurting. I'm like, oh my gosh, of course, go, go, go. Right. There's a reason why the person has the need, the belief, the feeling, the thought that they have. And so instead of negating it, following it. That's what I did with my mom. She's scared. She needs to have the helicopters not be here. What can I do? There's always a place for what can I do to help? And it might simply be, I'm just going to sit here with you. Why do you think it is that we don't communicate what we need or what, like your daughter, why do you think, and I'm not, I'm just using her as an example, but why do we not say, Hey mom, my friends in crisis, this is why I want to go. And you said you had to dig and dig to get that. And I realized she was a child, but adults do the same thing. Why do you think? that? Is? Well, I think, I, I think we're fearful of the person saying no, 
or not agreeing with us. And when the thought process is, I used to say to my kids, help me get to yes. Help me get to yes. And they'd say, okay, the parents are going to be the party. I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> no, no drugs or alcohol. I'm like, super good. And it's going to be over at 1030. And I've got to ride home with Susie's mom. Perfect. But I would say, like, help me get to yes. Help me find out, like, what it is that I need to get there. That's a great question that you asked. Let me sit with that for a second. Why are we afraid to share all? Well, because it takes us to being vulnerable. Right. And we assume that vulnerable is going to, yeah, allow that person to say, oh, you're being silly. Or, I mean, it could be something as simple as that. I remember one time my kids were really honest with me. I remember one time my daughter told me that her her friend was sneaking out of the house and hooking up with teenage boys. And I said, okay, like I uh, have to let you know, you're no longer spending the night at her house. She can spend the night at our house, but there isn't going to be any sneaking out. And we had a long talk about it. And at the end, she said, thank you for helping me not put myself in an uncomfortable situation. Like, Wow. Yeah. That's huge. <laughs> but there's the place of, I think a lot of it is we don't feel we're in a we. We don't feel we're really necessarily working together. And so if I don't think you're working with me, I might only give you some of the information. If I feel like I can totally trust you, it's going to all come out. Our children are concerned that we'll say no. They're concerned they're going to disappoint us. They're concerned we're going to get mad, even though a lot of us as parents really never did. But the kid is worried you're going to be mad, just like a spouse's. You're going to be angry with me. I remember there was one time I was at church and I was writing our tithe check. And two days later, there was no money in the bank. And I thought, that makes no sense. We had a thousand dollars. And so I went online and went through the register and I went, oh no, what I had done is when I wrote the check, I wrote the check for every penny we had in our checking account, which was many months of tithing. And so I called my husband and I said, I made a, a really bad mistake. We can fix it but not for a little while. He goes, what'd you do? And I said, by mistake, I wrote a check to the church for every penny we have in our checking account. And he said, okay, how do we fix that? And I said, we don't need to give any money to the church for about three months. And he said, or, and I'm like, oh, Ted, no, 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 no. He goes, yeah, or I'm like, oh, and he said, you must've wanted to give that as a gift. I'm like, I did want to give it as a gift. But at times, had really generous. And so we just let that, that's what we were to do. But I remember when I took it to him, I was a little fearful he'd be upset. But I also knew, because our relationship was of such, where he wouldn't shame me. He wouldn't belittle me. He wouldn't put me down because it was pretty rare that I did something like that. And we were really good at trying to encourage the other. That's awesome. And if that's the case, then that becomes a moment for that to happen. Like that snafu on my part allowed me to say, 
you were so incredibly generous and kind of a man to me, right? to the church. Right. And his response helped me to trust him even more. He knows who I am. He knows I feel badly. He doesn't have a need to punish me. Now, if he had, I would have said, this doesn't work for me. I made a mistake. I didn't mean to do this. I'm coming to you because I need you to know. And you're making me feel horribly about it. What is that going to do? I asked myself, does this conversation help me or hurt me? And if someone is, in my opinion, saying things that are hurtful or harmful, I, I take a, I take a little time out and I say, Ooh, I'm having a hard time with this right now. Like I need to take a moment because I'm starting to get upset and I don't want to say anything. Let me take a moment. And then I think about it. Are they intentionally trying to hurt me? Or is that my personal reaction? I think there's a place that we really are not clean with ourselves. When we feel hurt, it's really important to ask ourselves, but was that the person's intention? If it's not, then feeling hurt is a little off. Because if I didn't mean to hurt you, but I said something that to you is hurtful, then there's a clarifying that comes, but I didn't mean to hurt you. I'm so sorry you feel hurt, but I didn't mean to hurt you. I meant to tell you I need you to be there on time or whatever it might be. Right. Women probably more than men, but they go to, but this hurts me. And we then look at the person as someone who hurts. We create our emotional response and then put that back on the other person instead of owning, ooh, like this went to hurt for me. What's that about? I feel kind of insecure here. That's on me. Right. So I'll say disappointed. Absolutely. Frustrated. Absolutely. Hurt. To me, I, I look at that one a little bit differently and it comes out of the years of therapy because there are some things that are a hundred percent hurtful and intentionally hurtful. And to me that, that needs to be held precious for what that is like rejection, super strong word to me, that needs to be held for what is truly rejection. Not you just didn't like it abandonment, massively misused word. Very rarely are we abandoned, but if you are, dear God, you want that word to mean what it means. Right. Not just my boyfriend no longer wants to date me anymore. So we we're not going to be together. That's not abandonment. That's an ending of a relationship. We lessen, we do this with male, female. We do this with words. We lessen the power of what a situation is by making it normal. I literally have had people come to my office and tell me they have PTSD because a boyfriend broke up with them. Oh, wow. I'm like, baby girl, that's not PTSD. You weren't held at gunshot and raped. Right. Like you're sad. You are sad, but that's not post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. That's called trauma. <laughs> but we make, trauma is the word now. Everything I've been traumatized, I've been traumatized. I wanted to explore something in my life one day. And I said, how many days, I'm 60. How many days in my life have actually been crisis? Not even 10. A whole bunch of days that were super hard, but crisis for sure 
for sure that day when I was three, that was crisis because we were beaten that day. For sure, one time when I was molested, that was awful. For sure, the day my mom killed herself, that was crisis. For sure, the day Ted died, that was crisis. But how many days are actually a crisis? I think I've had a lot of hard days, but hard, hard is a crisis. If we were to view how well things really go, it's amazing. The fact that we're even alive, this is where I start to go <laughs> off. The fact we're even alive, when I think probably every meal we're eating has all sorts of bacteria or bugs or viruses or who knows what the air we're breathing, our skin is so thin. Like it's amazing we're alive. And yet we don't recognize that. We are supposed to be here. So what do you do with it? And how do you let yourself enjoy it as much as possible? And like my mom, how do you bring in magic right. to make your experience lovely and beautiful and to allow God to come through you in really powerful and glorious ways? How do you be the hands and the feet of God on this earth in the ways that you can? We are the emotional expression and physical manifestation of that. If we just be Heather, I can just be Heather. So how do we do it? Isn't it true that our brains focus on the negative? Like somebody can say, you look beautiful today, but then somebody walks by and say, man, you look really bad today. You're going to remember that the person said you looked really bad more often. Unless you do a lot of self-work on yourself. I really now don't. I have a lot of people on social media who who point things out negatively. And it always baffles me. It'll be like a video where I'm saying, I'm just going to pray for you right now. I'm just going to ask that you be blessed and you be glorified. You, you know, you love on yourself. And you're feeling really good about you. And they'll say like, wow, you've got such a gummy smile. What's wrong with you? See, I don't understand why people do. Yeah. And there's a little nudge that I have. And then what I say is that's sad. That's sad. They like totally missed it. I didn't. They totally missed it. And I just say, yeah, that's my smile. Sorry, it bothers you. I was hoping to bless you and tell you that you're beautiful and awesome just as you are. Maybe don't watch my videos. And about 80% of the time I get a message back. I'm sorry, that was really rude of me. I apologize. And then they say you have a really pretty smile. And I'm like, baloney, you think it's gummy. <laughs> but like, don't lie. Don't pacify me. But I do accept their apology. And I say, okay, okay, thank you. How do you get to that point if you're the average person? I've decided I want to love myself. And I've decided I want to love this life for sure in a continual one. I want to love being me. I want to love my life. And I don't want my experience to be dictated by somebody else's snarky comment. Do I hear it? Yeah. Do I have a little, eh? yes. But then I ask myself, does this thought serve me? No, right. I'm ugly and horrible. I had something happened early in my practice that was, ooh, that was absolutely phenomenal. I had a couple and the gentleman said at the end of the first session, I do not like you. And I went, I thought, Heather, think, 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 think. And I said, well, it's a good thing you didn't come here to be my friend. <laughs> you came here for me to be your therapist. And you said our session was helpful. So I'll see you next week. Wow. We had four sessions together. At the end of the fourth session, he looked at me. And he goes, I kind of like you a little bit now. <laughs>
And I said, isn't that nice? I kind of like you a little bit too, (laughs) but it freed me. Right. Don't have to like me. I am to do what I am to do. If I get 50 people today telling me I have a gummy smile on TikTok, I'm going to have, I hope 51, but I'm going to have a ton of people saying, bless you. This was exactly what I needed to hear. Thank you for your warmth. You were so important to me. I can have, I'll I'll say a handful. I can have a handful people who say that and more people that say I have a gummy smile and I'm going to keep talking to that handful. And the people with the gummy smile, we say, just block me, just block me. So you don't have to see my gummy smile. And you wonder why people like that don't. I mean, if they're so agitated or irritated by something, why do they keep? Because they like to poke. They like, that's why they're doing it. Do I, do I ever tell somebody they have a gummy smile or they're ugly? No, No. just, I just leave them alone. Or I find something else to point out. Like, I love your shirt or that message was really profound. Right. I had a friend when I was 20 and she truthfully was of my friends, the least attractive girl that I had known. Lot, lot of birth defects, a lot. She didn't really have a chin, huge buck teeth, horrible skin, terrible eyes. So she had these thick, thick glasses, greasy, greasy hair. Her body was kind of odd, very strange looking. She had the most beautiful boyfriend. (laughs) Like he was model, he was model quality. Like he was gorgeous. My friend had a beautiful heart, and she'd gone through a lot of hurt. I bet, yeah. And the way she loved was beautiful. And at their wedding, it was amazing because she, she really did look beautiful. Wow! But it was the way he looked at her, and it taught me a lot. We can look to see the beauty or we can look to see what the problem is. Now we need to recognize what it is, but we can look and see what is beautiful. I don't feel better when I'm putting somebody down. Oh, I wouldn't either. I don't feel better when someone's putting me down. So I just choose to not do that. And I look at that person as they're hurting. Someone's hurt them. So someone has wronged them and they feel loved. Do you feel like it goes back to the inner child, so to speak? Like if someone said something nasty to me, I would keep, to be honest, I'd keep dwelling on it. Like, wow, I can't believe they said that. Wow. Is that really true? I mean, you keep playing it back. Well, let me help you add, add to you. I'm really ugly to you. Don't say it out loud to them, but say it in your head. I'm driving too fast for you. I'm too fat for you. I'm an idiot to you. It's that one person's viewpoint. And it is their viewpoint. They can have that viewpoint. My husband hated broccoli. I love broccoli. I made it every possible way. I wanted him to see that broccoli was delicious. (laughs) He never did, no matter how much butter or cheese was on it. And one day I had an insight. Broccoli is not delicious. Broccoli is not disgusting. Broccoli is broccoli. And it's our taste buds or our preference that determines it. If I tell you 
that this bottle cap is worth $100, you're probably going to say, Heather, it might be worth a penny. If I don't need your money, this bottle cap is worth $100. Right. If I need your money, it's worth a penny. Value is not a constant. It's set by the person who basically has the, the more choice in, in that situation. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It It, it is. Yeah. And so my role is not, oh, I want to look at me through your eyes. My role is, oh, I, I want to look at me through eyes that actually like love me. If you look at me with beautiful eyes, then sure, I'm going to want to look through your eyes. If you look at eyes that are trying to hurt me or put me down or make me feel bad, it's one thing if you, if, so one day I had popcorn between my teeth. I'd come home, I shot four TikToks and somebody said like, you know, like what? And I looked at the video, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's popcorn. So I redid all four of the videos. They said it really sweetly. It turned into this really funny thing. I'm like, I had popcorn, a little yeah, I love you guys so much for pointing it out to me. I don't want you to look at food between my teeth and the whole TikTok think like, why does she have food between her teeth? But they did it really graciously. They helped me. Right. I was really grateful. Thank you for pointing out like that was gross. <laughs> so if it helps you, Brave. I put on a dress I haven't worn for quite a while and I put it on and I started to say in my head, Oh my gosh, your thighs look so fat. Before it would really like land solidly, I said to myself, thank you dress for telling me the truth. That's a good way to look. The truth is I'm not going to the gym enough. Thank you dress. Information I need to have. My poor little thighs didn't ask for any of the food. It was my mouth. So why am I beating up them? They're just like, <laughs> okay, I guess we're getting bigger. Okay. Like they have nothing to do with it. That's a good way to look at it. So what if you just decide, I want to love myself. I want to love my life. I want to be grateful for what I have. I want to be around people who really honor me and bless me and challenge me. But I don't need to be around people who want to hurt me. Right. Like, What's the benefit of that? You can say anything with love. You get a little <laughs> in your teeth. That was said with love. Right. It doesn't have to be, oh my gosh, you're disgusting. Why don't you even brush your teeth? What's wrong with you? How could you ever do a video without looking at your teeth? Shame or support. Very true. I'm going to love myself. I'm going to rip myself apart. It's only hard to love ourselves because we've told us that's true. We've practiced it. And now we've got grooves, ruts that we've created for ourselves where we think it's not okay to be gracious and kind and loving. But my thought is, well, I'm only going to live in this body once. I can hate living in this body or I can love living in this body. I might as well decide to love living in it since this is the only experience I have. And it just feels better to help me be me than to beat me up. Oh, absolutely. I think it's going to take practice and <laughs> consistency. For the rest of our lives, every day. I work on it every day. Yeah. But I get smoother with it every day. That's great. Yeah. Great. And then that's gift to give to others. Yeah. Oh, you didn't do it. it. We'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. What can we do? Like you become really gracious. My daughter told me one time, mom, you know, the word I think of you the most. I'm like, no idea. Fairy? She goes, no, 
that's probably second. She said, gracious. And I said, oh, whew, I'll take that. <laughs> like, that's beautiful. It is. Why not? Why not be that gracious person? We've all had somebody in our life that we've experienced being gracious. And you're just like, thank you. God giving us grace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't deserve it. Right. But you're going to change because of this. I want to bless you in this. How glorious that is. Let me help you grow beyond who you've been. Right now, let me help you grow beyond who you have been into someone more than you have been. Just because you've done that before doesn't mean you have to choose that now. Right. How about we help ourselves change now? We have that option every day, all day long. Absolutely. I think it's just reminding ourselves to purposely change the way we view things, maybe. Yeah. And that's a choice. Do I want to learn from this or do I want to put myself down? When something doesn't go well, there's a huge lesson there. Lot to learn. Right. Am I going to beat myself up for it or am I going to help myself get it as quickly as I can and move ahead with that? Oh, now you know. Okay, good to know. Don't need to do that again. <laughs> so what do I want to do differently going forward? It's all a lesson. This is all a right. game. This is, you know, our experience. And so like, are you loving your life? I hope at the end of my life, I will say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this amazing experience. Thank you for letting me be me. That's what I hope. And God will say, did you do everything you wanted to do? And I'll say, oh, not even close, <laughs> not even close. But you know what? I really loved the journey. What a gift this life is super hard. Oh my gosh. So exhausting at times. So frustrating, so much work, but also at the same time, like I can love people every single day. How beautiful is that? I can hopefully experience love from others every day, but if not, I can certainly experience love that I give myself every single day. How beautiful that is. That is beautiful. So I, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're going over a little bit, but is there anything you want to talk about? Like at your TED Talks that are coming up or? It'll probably be, well, I don't know how long it takes for it to post. I'm doing it on September 23rd. So it will be on my website. It will be all over my social media when it is live there. You don't quite know how long it's going to take TED to get it up. So sometimes it's a couple of weeks, but I have that going on. What's the topic on that? Compassion. Um, and then I also have a couple's communication book that is coming out in January from Post Hill Press, which I'm very excited about. Uh, that is exciting. And it's my 27 years of experience being a couple's counselor. And so I've taken all my nuggets and all my uh, exercises and pulled it together. And it's written as a widow, which, in my opinion, gives it a, a really interesting angle because I'll nudge people like go off and do this exercise. I wish I could do that right now. Right. And there's a place of helping people realize what they have and not just what they don't have. And that's important in couples. So that's coming out in January. And he's, you know, interested in speaking with me or wants to know more about me, just go to my website. It's www.drheatherbrown.com. Dr. Heather Brown. I'm sure it'll be in the show oh, notes. Yeah, I've got 
CDs and gifts and all sorts of things and all the links to all my social medias on there. So I'd be honored if I can support you in any way. And if I can't personally, then to try to guide you where you need to go, I'm uh, open to try to share any wisdom I have in that area. That's awesome. I, I appreciate all the wisdom you shared with us today. That's for sure. It was fascinating talking to you and I've enjoyed it. I'm so glad. <laughs> so thank you very much. You're welcome. Bless you. Bye-bye. As we wrap up today's episode, I hope Dr. Brown sharing her journey and her wisdom has helped you in some way. The main takeaway for me is the idea that all of our realities are truly our own. I know I've heard of siblings growing up together who report very different experiences. In other words, their realities or their perceptions of their realities were quite different. And I think that's something we truly don't think about often enough that it's really that way for all of us. And that's something that Dr. Brown really wants people to think about. And Dr. Brown is also on a mission to transform communication to allow for greater acceptance. And she wants people to understand the power of communication and use it to make their lives better. I think that's a pretty awesome mission to have. So what stood out to you? I would love to hear from you. And as always, I hope this episode helps at least one person. And with that, I hope you have a blessed week, my friend. Thank you for listening to The Beauty in the Mess. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite pod player. If you have any questions or comments, any topic ideas you would like to hear about, or you think you would be a great guest on the show, you can reach me directly at thebeautyinthemess.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>